0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the UK Dividend Stocks podcast. In today's episode, we are going to have a look at Forexpo, which is the world's third largest iron ore pellet producer. So uh, let's have a look at Forexpo. It's listed in the FTSE 250 and uh it's paid a dividend in every one of the last 10 years so uh on on a very very simplistic basis it's uh, a potential candidate for a uk focused dividend portfolio um but it isn't uh, it's not really the sort of company you usually expect to see in a dividend portfolio because it's a commodity producer so um, it produces iron ore pellets and, you know, the price of those is obviously uh, dependent upon um, the global iron ore spot price. And commodity prices can be very volatile, so therefore you'd expect Forexpo's um, results over time to be volatile, which is typical of, of mining companies. Um, and that's that's uh, what we see when we, when we look at Forexpo but the company does rank quite highly on my stock screen so uh, i think it's worth taking a look at at this company even though at first glance it seems as if it's probably not going to be something that's going to end up in in a dividend portfolio but you never know you know these companies can occasionally uh be purchased at extremely low valuations and on that basis, they can still make good investments, and it does pay a dividend. It has paid a consistent dividend for many years, um, and so at, at the right price, I would say yes, th- this is still a, a, a viable candidate for a dividend portfolio. So, uh, what else? The in, another uh, a, a, a key feature of uh, of Forexpo is that it operates mines that are in uh, Ukraine. And so obviously that's another risk factor um and we'll just uh we'll dig into that a bit more once uh, once the analysis really gets uh, gets rolling so i wanted to have a look at forexpo using a uh, a swapped version of my usual company review checklist i've kind of reorganized some of the questions to be a strength weaknesses opportunities threat analysis Um, just to see how that works so let's take a look at the first of those four but before that just want to cover the usual disclaimer which is that this podcast is for educational use only and does not constitute financial advice and if you think you need financial advice you should probably go and talk to a regulated financial advisor so let's have a look at some of uh, Forexpo's strengths. So the first strength that I look for is uh, is a track record of consistent growth. Because uh, as a uh, an investor, what I'm after is companies that pay a dividend and can then grow that dividend, preferably every year for decades, preferably. Um, and so if you're going to grow dividends progressively over time, what you need to see is revenues, earnings, you know, the company's balance sheet, its capital employed. You need to see all of these things growing steadily over time. So the obvious thing to look for then is, is, is companies that have already produced those kind of results in the past. So when we look at Forexpo's results, do we see a consistent track record of growth over the last decade and beyond, and the short answer to that is no. Uh, if you look at a chart of uh, Fair Expo's, uh revenues, its earnings, its dividends, and its capital employed over the last ten years, what you see is kind of a, a, a like a U shape, like a very shallow U shape. You see basically a decline between 2011 and 2015 where revenues and earnings and capital employed were all going down. And then you see a recovery from 2015 through to 2020 where all of those things then uh, recover kind of back to where they were in, in uh, 2011. And this is basically what we should expect to see from a mining company from a highly cyclical commodity producer we should expect to see uh we should expect to see its revenues and its earnings and and its even its dividends to some extent and its capital employed going up and down depending on whether the the price of iron is high or not because it's uh the the cost of extracting iron out of a mine obviously does vary over time, but it doesn't vary that much. Whereas the price of iron can, you know, double or half or more in a a fairly short period of time. So what we can do is we can have a look at um, iron ore prices over the same period to see if that's true if there's a correlation between Forexpo's results over the last ten years and the global iron ore prices over the last ten years. And uh there's a pretty tight correlation. If you look at a chart of iron ore prices, you see that they grow from about hundred and seventy uh dollars per something. <laughs> I don't have no idea what, to be honest. I'm trying to look at a chart. I'm a bit blind in my decrepit old age, but anyway, the uh, the a chart of iron ore prices shows the the price of iron ore going uh, from a higher level in 2011, uh, and then it goes down uh, in a not quite a straight line, but almost a straight line down to about 2015, 2016, when there was a low point. And there was a, a low across a lot of different commodities at, at that point in time. And then it shows a, a general recovery through to 2020 and then obviously a big spike in 2021 when commodity prices went a bit crazy earlier this year. So what we then see is, uh, you know, exposed revenues and earnings and its dividends being higher when iron ore prices are higher. They're lower when uh, iron ore prices are lower and then revenues and earnings and dividends recover as iron ore prices recover. That's what we, sh- we should expect to see. It's what it- we do see and it's what we really should expect in the future. We should expect for exposed results to be closely tied to iron ore prices in the future. So we should expect them to be volatile. We shouldn't expect this to be a steady, progressive, compounding dividend growth machine because that's not the, that's not what this type of business is but what we can do is we can we can look through the uh the volatility of its results and the volatility of iron ore prices and we can try and understand well is 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 the company underneath all that volatility is it growing is it is it growing is it shrinking it, what's going on so one way to try and Get a better feel for what's going on with the company and, and, and by getting rid of the volatility of iron ore prices is to look at the actual production levels so if we look at the million the the the, the amount of pellets the number of pellets sorry the the tonnage of pellets produced per year uh, there's data on their website the web, website that will show you the millions of tons of uh, iron ore pellets produced from forexpo's mines over the last decade and what we see is that it starts in 2011 they're producing about 11 million tons of pellets a year production is fairly steady only varies in, in in a year from one year to the next by about a million tons and we see that there's an increase in the number of tons produced up to about 11 ish million tons a year so from about nine to eleven and it's reasonably steady increase in production over time so what we see is that as forexpo is generating profits and cash some of that is being reinvested back into production so you know buying more um, excavators more diggers you know more um facilities to uh to 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 process the iron ore and turn it into to these pellets um so it's just there is a gradual increase in the in the effectively the size of the companies the company its productive capacity but that's masked to a large extent by the fact that it sells a, a a commodity where the the sale price is is very volatile but underneath all that volatility that the actual production levels are quite stable so we now know that Forexpo is what we would you normally expect it to be which is a it's a mining company so it's volatile it's everything goes up and down with iron ore prices so obviously it's not really uh a a good candidate for a steady dividend growth portfolio but i'm not i don't want to rule mining companies out completely just because they're volatile because they can make very good investments at the right price so one way to control the amount of risk uh, of investing in these companies is to control the position size Um, and so for example I, i have different default position sizes for for companies, different companies, depending on how defensive or cyclical the company is. So, for example, my default position size for uh, defensive companies is 4%. And my default position size for somewhat cyclical companies, so maybe a retailer or an engineering company, although it depends what. uh uh, what sector the engineering company works in so kind of mediumly cyclical companies my default position size is three percent and then for highly cyclical companies which is mostly companies that work in the oil and gas sector uh, but possibly companies that sell capital goods where their customers can choose to not buy the product for several years um you know if you're engineering if you're if you're a construction company they they can be highly cyclical so my default position size for highly cyclical companies is two percent so half the default position size for highly cyclical companies is half of the default position size for defensive companies so this allows me to still invest in highly cyclical companies but the position size will be smaller and therefore the 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 portfolio's exposure to that level of risk is smaller. And then those target position sizes, sorry, the, those default position sizes then get adjusted up and down depending on the valuation. So for example, an incredibly attractively valued defensive company might have a target position size of, of twice the default, which would be 8%. So I might have 8% invested in a, in a very attractively valued defensive company. But if I've got a very attractively valued, highly cyclical company, I will still invest double the default position size, but that's double the 2%. So the, the the most I would have in a highly cyclical stock like Forexpo would be 4%. Whereas Unilever, which is in my portfolio already, if that was incredibly attractively valued, I might have 8% in Unilever, but I would never put 8% in Forexpo because it's just too cyclical and too risky And the dividend goes up and down too much and it would have it would introduce too much volatility into the portfolio. So that's that's basically a a quick aside into how, you know, I think about putting these more cyclical companies into a defensive dividend portfolio without having them kind of upset the apple cart, as it were. So let's carry on with looking at some more uh, of Expos strengths um we've looked at its track record of growth which is obviously up and down which is what you would expect so that's it, that's not a strength it's con- it doesn't have consistent growth as a strength um so the ne- next question then is is has it produced uh consistently high levels of profitability so I want to see primarily I want to see high returns on capital employed that's the the single most important metric, Um, but return on sales or profit margin is also important. So um, what do we see? Do we see a nice steady track record of double digit returns on capital employed? Well, again, the answer is uh, no, because for exposure results go up and down with iron ore prices, it's profitability does the same. So it's return on capital employed um, went from about 20% in 2011, fell to about 5 or in fact less than that, about 3%, 2% two, two or 3% in 2015, and has now recovered to around 35% in 2020. So clearly, return on capital employed is volatile, which is not ideal. However, it has averaged about 20% a year over the last 10 years. And an average across the cycle return on capital employed of 20% is very, very good. So even though Forexpo is highly volatile and its results go up and down, when you, you look at it across the cycle, averaged across the cycle, it is a highly profitable business. So how has it managed to produce such high profits because if you make a lot of profit in a relatively free market someone else will come along and just copy what you do drive down prices and eat away your excess profits so how has forexpo managed to produce high rates of profitability for many years so in other words does it have uh, durable competitive advantages and the answer is yes um Expo has a durable cost advantage over the vast majority of the world's iron ore exporters so how does that work how, what 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 is the cost advantage and why is it uh, why is it durable so the first cost advantage is just scale these are It has very, very large iron ore deposits in Ukraine. And so it can construct very large mines and use very big excavators and very large trucks and very large processing facilities. And generally, the bigger, the better. Uh, You just, you get economies of scale from having a very big mine instead of a medium or a small mine. And Forexpo only has two mines in operation, and uh, it's currently the world's third largest exporter of iron ore pellets from just two mines which is pretty impressive. The second main factor that that makes its mines uh, cost competitive or more or a lower cost source of iron ore than, than most of the, the, the rest of the world um, is that there's relative ease of extraction. So The iron ore is relatively near to the surface the nearer to the surface the iron ore is the 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 less distance up and down there is for the trucks to go Um, if the rock is easier to mine uh, there's less work involved in getting the stuff out it's just easy to extract relatively easy to extract this iron ore out of the ground in ukraine uh, and that makes it cheaper to, to produce and, uh, and then the, the third part is distribution. So once you've got the iron ore out of the mine, you've then got to get it to all the customers around the world. And Ukraine's position geographically is very helpful. Um, it's close to uh, rail connections into Europe. There are river connections where it can send barges uh, also into Europe. And it's quite close to uh, the sea where it can obviously then ship uh, its iron ore pellets to wherever. So it has very efficient access to to distribution around the world, and that's another part of what makes uh, it a low-cost producer. So that's good. It's a low-cost producer. That means that you can uh, can keep producing at lower iron ore prices and still make a profit, or it means when prices are high, you make more profit than other companies, which is all good. So why is this a durable cost advantage? Why can't somebody else just come along and copy what Forexpo does? And the obvious answer to that is that you you can't just copy billions of tonnes of iron ore resources. There's, you know, the iron ore is there, it's in the ground somewhere, and you get it out, you suck it out, you mine it out, and that's it. Someone else, Amazon or Apple, can't decide that they want to go into iron ore mining and just magically produce an iron ore mine that is a, a low cost producer somewhere. It doesn't work like that. You have to find the iron ore, or the iron deposits, and uh, and then it has to be in the right location and all the rest of it. And so, as a as a competitive advantage, uh, this is a location based advantage, and locations. Are unique, and so if you have you know if you own a a port which is the best port for getting stuff in and out of a country it's the best one there's no other there's no other best one you, you know someone can't come along and just build one somewhere up the, further up the coast uh you have the best location um and so the same with these these mines they're 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 in one of the best locations in the world they're really some of the easiest to extract. Uh, Iron ore in the world, and you cannot just simply click your fingers, invest a few billion, and produce a new iron ore mine. So this is an enduring advantage, which uh, is you know likely to endure for a, a very very long period of time. So we can expect so along with the volatility that we can expect out for Expo, I think we can reasonably expect the company to be very profitable for a very long period of time. So this is definitely, for me, is really the key strength of this company is its mines in Ukraine. So another strength to look for in a company is deep expertise that comes from running a relatively focused business for a very long period of time. And this is also, something which obviously adds value, but it's also quite difficult to replicate um, because it takes time to to build up expertise, a kind of cultural expertise within a business. So, in this case, the uh, the Ukrainian um, mining operations were set up in the nineteen sixties under state ownership, um, and they've been there ever since, and just operating as a mine ever since. And and for Expo, uh, when it took over these mines. Um, at some later point, I think the, the in the 1990s, um, it's just continued to run uh, the same mines and that's all it's done. So the the operations and the business built around these mines, the only thing it's ever done is run and operate these mines. Which is good because then that means that there should be people in within the organisation who have been doing this for a very long period of time teams that have you know worked together and and so on and they just know how to run a mine very well so this is a this is a good sign it's good to see a company that's just stuck to its knitting for uh decades so those are the strengths let's have a look now at uh some of the internal weaknesses that this company might have so the main ones i want to focus on are debts acquisitions and something uh, known as concentration risk so in terms of debt the company has very little debt which is good because having lots of debt when you are a highly cyclical mining business is an extremely bad idea Uh, if iron ore prices fall off a cliff and Forexpo makes no money or losses for a year or two having huge debts is a really bad idea because you might break the banking covenants and you might not be able to pay the interest and the banks can come along and and, uh, close you down and other unpleasant things so having uh, little or no debt in a highly cyclical business is good Uh, in terms of acquisitions acquisitions can be problematic because they have to be integrated into the business then there can be cultural issues. There's the time and the cost and the effort of integrating the businesses. Quite often, the most talented people get fed up being in a uh, buried inside of a large organisation and they leave. And so there's there's a lot of negatives around acquisitions. Um, but in this case, the, the the company hasn't doesn't have a, a an acquisitive uh, background at all. So that's good. So that just means it's operated these mines since the 1960s, and that's it. There's no there's no uh, it hasn't bolted together lots of different companies to, to get to its current position. So that gives you a nice kind of solid foundation for the business to run on. So in terms of concentration risk, there are a few issues. So for example, there's there's concentration in terms of supply. All of Forexpo's iron ore comes out of its mines in the Ukraine, and there's just a couple of mines. There's, there's effectively one seam of iron ore running for a few uh, hundred kilometres or whatever it is in the Ukraine. So it's got one source of raw materials. So that that's a risk. If something really weird happens, you know, maybe there's a war or something or a giant comet hits the, the region or something, I don't know, something bad happens you know, all of its resources are in one place. It doesn't have mines in, in different countries around the world. It's not diversified geographically at all. Everything is in this one location. So that's that's obviously a risk of some sort. Uh, another concentration risk is uh, in terms of the shareholding. So the, the ex-CEO uh, owns fractionally more than 50% of the company. In other words, just enough to give him uh, total control of the business. So uh, so far, that hasn't been a problem. He ran the company for a long time. Um, he was there from the very beginning when, when Forexpo was set up. And uh, But he does retain this fractionally more than 50% holding, which kind of makes you think, okay... Why would you want fifty point three percent of the company unless you just want that option of having total control? So there, there's a kind, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a question mark. There is, there is an issue, uh, not necessarily a, 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 a serious issue, but it's certainly it's something to make note of, which is that the, the ex CEO owns more than fifty percent of the company and effectively has total control, and so that's just a, that's just another unknown. Um, and so for me that's definitely a weakness Uh, yeah so let's have a look at uh, what are the external opportunities that Forexpo has in front of it in other words can it grow its market share of the global iron ore pellet uh, market and can it move into other markets so I think Forexpo has relatively limited opportunities for growth that's because it, it operates out of these this one location in ukraine and you can only get so much iron ore out of a mine at one time you can't double production and double it again and double it again and double it again and double it again it doesn't work like that you know there is only so many trucks you can get in and out of a mine at once and so at the minute the production capacity for the company for these mines is is about 12 million tons a year and they've got plans in place the plan is to grow that up to about 20 million tons so i don't know if 20 million is kind of an absolute hard ceiling i'm going to assume that it's kind of maybe it is so that's uh going from 12 million to 20 million that's two-thirds that's a 66 percent growth in production possibly that's all they're ever going to get out of these mines so i don't think this is a company where you can really expect it to to grow to the moon um it's its production expansion possibilities are you know just limited by the physics of how many trucks you can get going in and out of a mine at the same time and another issue obviously with mines is that the the faster you extract the iron out the faster um the, the mine runs out of resources. So, again, you're kind of limited by the by the physical reality that this is a mine with a fixed amount of iron ore. So, um, yeah, so another way for, for, for Expo to grow would be to buy other mines elsewhere in the world, which, it, you know, it might do. But the, the issue with that, of course, is that you have to buy the, the mines on the open market, and so the returns from the mine are then dependent on the price you pay and in an efficient market the price you pay um, you know would be would be set by whoever is willing to accept the lowest return and if someone is willing to accept kind of market level of return or fractionally above market level of return then that's all you're going to get so um yeah acquisitions are an option but i don't i don't see that they obviously would be a good thing you know the money that they invest uh, into those mines it might it could well be the case that they would have been better off paying that back to shareholders as dividends and then shareholders can go off and buy another mining company if they want or invest in uh, in, in something completely different so a lack of um, a lack of growth opportunities is definitely not Uh, a positive factor and finally we uh, we're going to have a look at what external threats uh, for expo faces so an obvious threat is is just from the 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 type of business that it is it's a a mining business it sells iron pellets and um, iron ore pellets and and the the price of iron ore is volatile and that in itself is a threat So operating in an environment where the price of the thing you sell is very volatile just makes it more difficult to run a business. So, you know, an analogy would be sailing a ship. If you're sailing a ship across a nice, flat, smooth sea, then it's relatively easy. If you're sailing a ship uh, across the Atlantic in a huge storm and, you know, there are kind of 50 meter waves, uh, then... That's going to be difficult and it's going to take a crew that is talented and skillful and know what they're doing and the ship is going to need to be strong and robust to survive and etc. So having volatile prices just makes it more difficult to run a business without running into serious problems. So uh, and then another obvious threat is the the uh the war between uh, Russia and Ukraine which has been going on since 2014 to various degrees um this is obviously not great and uh in the last year Russia Ukraine and NATO have all you know, increase their military resources in the region and have run various military exercises. Um, none of which is really super positive. Given that for Expo's minds are all in the Ukraine, we don't really don't know what Russia is going to do. Um, so that is another uh, that's another risk to uh, to factor into the equation. So let's quickly summarise all of that then. So. The strengths are that this is a narrowly focused business. Uh, it's been doing it a long time. It's been mining for, for 60 years or so. And um, it has enduring cost advantages from its mines. So the strength really is the mines, the location, the ease with which you can extract the iron ore, the fact that the company's been doing this for a very long time. That core of the business is very attractive. It does have weaknesses, which, again, is that it has this concentration in one, effectively one mine, one large mine, and one that's just kind of ramping up. But it's basically one region of iron ore resources. Um, So that's a weakness. And then also the the fact that the company is more than 50% owned by the uh, ex-CEO. Opportunities uh, are possibly limited. It can't really expand production in its mines forever and it could expand for acquisition, but then is that gonna add any value? And then threats, it does operate in a highly volatile environment, and it also operates in a country which is at war uh, with Russia. So in conclusion, I would say that this is a company that I might invest in, because I like the core mining business, but I would only ever have a small position because of the, the nature of the business, because it's volatile, um, but I wouldn't invest at the moment because of the uncertainties around Russia and Ukraine. So realistically, this is company a company that I might put on my blacklist. In fact, I, I have put it on my blacklist, which is companies that I don't actively want, look. I'm not actively looking to invest in now, regardless of price. I would probably wait, maybe a couple of years, and then come back, and we'll see where we are with the whole Russia-Ukraine thing, and then can look at for Expo uh, again at that point to see if anything is, as uh, if the situation is more positive, then maybe it will then depend on price. But the minute it doesn't depend on price, it just depends on let's see what's going to happen with with Russia and uh, and Ukraine. So um, I think it's still worthwhile doing a valuation of for Expo, but it, but a, a fairly simple one because I, I I don't want to spend kind of I didn't want to spend days and days digging around and looking at potential production levels and et cetera in the future and kind of really dig into the details. I just wanted to kind of pull out a fairly simplistic uh, discounted dividend model. To come up with a ballpark valuation, so we can kind of begin to get a feel for um, uh, where where the company is today. This is just a quick post production edit to say that in my following review of the dividend model for for Expo, I talk about pence per share, and uh, you know dividends are so and so pence that's wrong it's all in cents um obviously i just think in pence most of the time so i incorrectly said pence instead of cents the only time when pounds and pence is correct is when i'm talking about my valuation in terms of fair value because that's converted to pounds and pence in line with the share price so uh let's start with uh, my models start off with a, a base of the capital employed of the business so capital employed is money that's in the business that's been raised raised from shareholders um uh raised from uh banks in as in terms of loans and it's other capital that possibly you know borrowed from landlords um you know in terms of vehicles or stores or, or whatever and so that, that, that capital is then applied into various productive activities um, like mining, and that's how you make money. So the capital employed is really the, the foundation of the business. So in this case, uh, Forexpo has uh, or had capital employed of 298. Uh, US cents uh, at the end of 2021. Sorry, at the end of 2020. So I'm going to assume 298 cents is a starting point for 2021. So over the last 10 years, um, Forexpo produced a average net return on capital employed of 17.7%. So I can just plug that in and say, I I have no idea what this company is going to earn this year or the year after because it's so volatile. So let's just plug in the average return on capital employed from the last decade and then we'll see what that gives. And so that gives us an estimated earnings for 2021 uh, EPS of 53 cents and the average over the last 10 years was uh, 55. So we end up with an estimated, a very ballpark estimate for earnings this year which is about the average of the last 10 years, obviously that's going to be wrong. It doesn't really matter because with a company like this, earnings will be super high one year and then they'll be really low the next year. So you're never going to know what the earnings in a given year are going to be anyway. So you're better off just uh, smoothing out all of those ups and downs and just looking at a kind of an average figure. So yes, so we start off with basically 300p of capital employed 17.7% return on capital employed, that gives us a 53p earnings estimate for 2021. Um, If we then take a dividend cover of three, which is kind of historically average, um, then that gives us an estimated dividend of 17.6p in 2021. And for context, the average dividend of the last 10 years was 15.9 cents. So we've got a starting dividend of 17.6 cents. Then what happens is most of it's the earnings uh, aren't paid out as a dividend because dividend cover is three. So those earnings then get reinvested back into the business. You know, they fund more trucks, more excavators, more um, equipment, conveyor belts, whatever, to increase production. So then next year, the, the capital employed goes up from about 300 cents to 334 cents. And then, then we can just kind of repeat the process. You have capital employed, you produce a certain return on capital employed, that gives you earnings. Some of the earnings are paid out to shareholders, the rest gets reinvested back into the business and so on. Obviously this is a simplistic model, um, but it kind of, you, you'd be surprised actually, it, kind of, it does work out for a lot of companies these kind of simple models end up being fairly cl- close fairly reasonable and close to what you might expect to happen although of course there can be a lot of details that that can help shape and make these things a bit more realistic but in this case I didn't want to go into kind of super duper detail I think the only the other thing I want to really point out is that so in the model the model runs for ten years before we then go to a kind of final um, infinite or perpetual growth rate beyond Uh, that period where we just estimate what is the dividend growth rate beyond that period so but over the next 10 years capital employed under this model basically doubles from about 300p to just over 600p Um, return on capital employed goes down but based on a few things partly it makes the model more realistic so it's a bit of a fudge Um, But if you assume that the return on capital goes from nearly 18% in 2021 down to about 13% in 2029, that could also realistically reflect the fact that um, the more mature a mine becomes, the more expensive it becomes to get the iron ore out of the mine. Because when you start a mine, um, uh, especially an open mine, um, uh, which is what we've got in this case then the iron ore is near the surface. And so you don't have to dig very far um, to get the iron ore and you don't have to go very far back to the processing uh, plant. Um, and so that cuts costs down. You know, it's it's less time. You can go back and forth in a short period of time. And it's less fuel because you're not going up and down. And once a, once a mine is mature, you know, your truck might be driving 400 metres down into the mine and taking you know a whatever it takes a, a one of these massive trucks to to drive 400 meters down into a mine um, and then they can be filled up with the excavator and then they've got to come 400 meters you know a 300 a truck with 300 tons of iron ore in the back all the way back up to the surface and that takes a lot of time and energy and so the older a mine gets the, the less uh efficient it becomes and so you know my fudge is to say well okay but well then we'll we reduce capital return on capital employed over the next decade to kind of reflect the maturing of these mines uh, so we, anyway so we basically end up with with uh, uh, an estimate of capital employed of 300p 300 cents in 2029. 20, uh, Another quick post-production edit, what I meant to say was capital employed goes from 300 cents in 2021 to about 600 cents in 2029, uh, using the assumptions I talked about a moment ago. Earnings have gone from 53 today to 80 cents in 2029, and the dividend goes up faster because uh the company's able to retain less cash over time because it can't expand production so fast eventually you know as production goes up towards the the maximum possible production out of the mine then you can't keep adding so many more trucks and diggers and whatever and so you've got cash sitting around so you pay more of the earnings out as as dividends to shareholders so dividend covering the model goes from about 3 today down to nearly two a decade from now. And that means that the dividend goes from nearly 18 cents today to about 36 cents. So it basically doubles by the end of, uh, of, of this decade. So what does that give us? It, it, we then take all of this this model, these, these estimates of future dividends, uh, and then we discount them back to today. So if we reduce those future dividends by a rate of 7% per year, that gives us uh, an estimate of fair value because 7% around 7% is the average long-run return of the UK stock market. And so if we plug all of that into a spreadsheet and then discount it back to a a fair value for, for Expo today, in other words, a fair value for those estimated future dividends, then we come up with a a fair value of the company of three pounds 44. So using this model, uh, the estimate of fair value is three pounds 44. If we discount those dividends by 10% per year, which is my target rate of return, then we end up with a good value estimate, good value of two pounds 34. So we've got good value is £2.34. We've got fair value is £3.44. And the current price, as I'm recording this, is £3. So the model kind of works out uh, to be in maybe in the right ballpark. It's not completely way out from where the price is. The current price is somewhere between uh, my estimate of fair value and good value. So that means that if I owned Forexpo already, I would probably be reasonably happy to have it in the portfolio at the moment because it pays a dividend, and according to at least a fairly simplistic model, the price is is reasonably attractive. It's not too bad at the current level. Um, the problem is that because for Expo is highly cyclical. My default position size is 2%. Given that the, the valuation is kind of okay, middling-ish, then my target size would be, according to the spreadsheet that I use to calculate these things, would be 1.9%. So the target position size at the current share price would be 1.9%. So the question then, of course, is, is it really worth all of the bother of having to understand a business and to keep track of it, read its annual reports, annual results, quarterly results, other updates, watch capital day, uh, investor seminars and and whatever, spend time and effort tracking this business just to have 2% of your portfolio invested in it? And so, you know, the answer for me is no, I I have a floor uh, of 2%. If I have any positions less than 2%, they're effectively, they're on uh, the chopping block. You know, anything where the target position size is, I mean, even 3%, but really 2%, it's, I I don't like to have positions of of where the target size is 2% or less, because it's just too much effort and work for too little reward or too little potential reward so even if i was ignoring the current situation in ukraine i probably wouldn't want to invest in Forexpo at the current price not because the price per se or is intrinsically unattractive because i think the price current price is probably okay it's not bad you know it's probably below fair value maybe The problem is that because it's a highly cyclical company, I only want to have a small position size. So in order for a highly cyclical company to be worth owning, in other words, for it to have a worthwhile target position size of 3 or preferably 4%, the shares would have to be super duper cheap. So according to the model that I've just run through, that would mean that for exposed shares would have to be you know nearer the 2 pound mark rather than 3 pounds if the share price was nearer 2 pounds then okay i might be willing to have 3 or 4% in this company but at 3 pounds the expected future returns are less the risks are the are, are the same and so i would only want to have a small position and currently that position size is so small that I just wouldn't be interested in investing 2% into a company because what's the point? So I think that's basically where we are with this company. I like I like Expo. I like its core mining business, but it's very cyclical. And so I would only want to own it at a very, very, very cheap price, which it isn't at the minute. And on top of that, you have the whole Ukrainian-Russian uh, issue. So for now, for Expo, will sit on my blacklist, which means that I'm not actively going to look at it again, probably for a couple of years. Even if the price really does fall, because I still would like to see some a bit more visibility on what's going on with with Russia. So, so that's it. So I think it's going to go on the blacklist. Can be there for a couple of years and then i'll then i'll revisit the company again because um i i do think that there is a a, a very uh there's a high quality mining business you know uh underneath all the the other negative factors so that's it for today's episode um you can download, I, the, the, the SWOT analysis is based on my company review checklist, which is a checklist that I use to analyze, you know, every company that, that I look at. Um, so if you want to download that checklist, it's freely available on the website, which is uh, ukdividendstocks.com checklist. Uh, just go to that address and you can download, um, download the checklist. Uh, that's it. So I just wanted to say Merry Christmas. Happy New Year when we get there. Uh, And then next year, um, my plans are to to carry on with this and the the aim really will be to do more company reviews, uh, more stock market revaluations for the S&P 500 and obviously the FTSE 100 and FTSE 250, possibly the occasional UK property market valuation and just various other interesting things that crop up. So if you like this episode, please like the episode on whatever platform you're consuming it on. And I will see you in 2022. Goodbye.